Southern Sisters Radio, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Hey everyone, welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio program. We are so glad that you're here with us for the next hour. We talk about everything that has to do with the South, or at least the good stuff. Oh, all the good. Is anything about the South not good? Yeah, if there was, we're not oh, going to talk oh. about it. <laughs> no, it's just happy, good stuff on the Southern Sisters radio show with an occasional lecture about etiquette. Uh, I, I, I listened to last week's show and I thought, dang, I was a little, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, a little motherly about the and, whole. And you know, I think that's all right. We all walk around and I think all of us Southern Southerners yeah. will occasionally look at people and go, y'all just y'all just need some cooth absolutely you know you don't ever want someone looking at you and saying her mama didn't raise her right no his mama didn't raise her right no. i know your mama raised you right nick because you often talk about your good yes, southern mama yes, and did. all the things she taught you uh we are gonna talk about this week on the southern sisters radio show some very important things uh namely national hot dog day because we know what's important in life. We yes, do. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. So Saturday, uh, this Saturday, is National Hot Dog Day. Wonderful. And uh, just to celebrate it and honor it uh, for the distinguished holiday that it is, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about popular toppings. Eight different ways to make a hot dog. Hmm. Every one of them is fabulous. I'm going to try every one of them this week. I'm interested. I'm sure. Now, uh, how many of these are just kind of out there? Um, well, there's one that's got a lot of greens on it. I'm thinking some right. some people might kind of turn their nose. I like getting crazy with the hot dogs, though. Yeah, I, th- I think that's good. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. and they all have themed names. Wonderful. Yeah, and it's great. So you'll you'll if you happen to go to our Facebook page, Southern Sisters with Jenny Earhart, and watch our our Facebook Live video of this show, you'll also see uh, the photographs in yes. the background. We're going to cycle through some very attractive photographs <laughs> of uh, of the Frankfurter variety. <laughs> So, not only is it National uh, Hot Dog Day this Saturday, um, today is also, uh, this was a strange thing to me, because I'm kind of a fan of the National Food Days. Today is National I Love Food Day. Isn't that every day? As in every day. (laughs) You took the words right out of my mouth. Why would you need a national holiday for that? I guess this is just an excuse to really pig out, if you want to. I suppose. Well, it's National I Love Food Day. I need to make sure the food knows just how much I love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Up close and personal with some good food. Yes. I had a, a college roommate whose boyfriend, I remember he was like a kinesiology major or something in, at Auburn where I went to college. And I remember him telling me one time, I don't know if it's true, so don't don't quote me on this okay. necessarily. But he said there's a limit to how many calories your body can absorb in one day. Hmm. Like, for example, if you've already shot your diet to you know what? <laughs> you might as well just keep going for the rest of the day. That you that you can't absorb, you know, it's like like that it's not humanly possible to absorb let's say 10,000 calories in a day. Wow. So if you've it's almost like, you know, the saturation limit in the ground. Yeah, when you've had rain, point. right? Mm-hmm. The ground gets to a point where it can't hold any more rain and so everything else is just a runoff. So that's kind of like with calories. It just turns into runoff. Right. So if you want to just Oh, that is so bad. So We're going to ride right over that one. Um, So if y'all want to try all eight of our hot dogs, you know, in one day, you're probably only going to absorb the calories from the first two. There you go. You got it? That's a great way to think about it. Now, listen, also, um, we're going to be talking about uh, morning habits. Now, we all have our way of doing things in the morning. I know I've got my little routine in the morning. Dixie the Wonder Dog and I have our 
morning routine. Um, but, you know, there are certain morning habits that are um, sort of common characteristics for highly effective people, hmm. right? So right. if you want to be a highly effective person in your life, you may want to try one of these morning habits. Yes. And we're going to go over those All right. in the third segment. Gotta stay tuned for that one. And then we're going to cycle around again. Guys, we haven't done our Southern narrative in a while. And I know that a lot of our Southern sisters uh, listeners did enjoy those Southern narratives when we were doing those. And so we have got two awesome Southern stories for you today. Wonderful. One of them is, uh, one of them is called, Where Are You From, Honey? <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, local accents, Southern accents. Oh, yes. How it's a dead giveaway when you meet a Southerner, right? Mm-hmm. And we're gonna the second Southern narrative is the groaning cake. And so this was a, a particular type of cake that is commonly made for um, actually... Uh, during in and around pregnancy and delivery, I know that oh. sounds very, I know that sounds very strange. Okay, but wait, wait for it. All right, you're gonna appreciate it. <laughs> Did you know um, that there are worse things that you can say uh, behind a southern woman's back than bless her heart? There are. But yeah, really, it's pretty bad. I, well, it, it's, it's bless her heart. Depending on how you say it, no. it, it you know, is pretty. <laughs> It's and pretty a, bad. But yeah, there's a lot of folks that think about, you know, those people in the South. Oh, bless her heart. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, s- if I'm talking directly to you, Nick, and you said, oh, you have had a really d- rough day, if you said that to me, and I said, oh, Nick, bless your heart. I hope your day gets better. That's yeah, a very sweet way of saying. Exactly. So I've often said, bless your heart has a very different meaning than bless her heart. Mm-hmm. Bless her, her heart. Clearly, you're saying her, which means you're more <laughs> than likely talking behind her back. <laughs> Where she can't hear you. <laughs> Which mm, I've never done. No. <laughs> never, never, None never. Of us ever <laughs> but yes, indeedy, guys, there are definitely things worse than saying bless her heart behind her back. And God love you. We hope they're never aimed at you. Okay? <laughs> now it's true that Southerners can add bless her heart to the most negative remark imaginable and make it sound genteel, even kind and sympathetic as backhanded compliments go. For example, she couldn't bake a decent pecan pie in her life if her life depended on it. <laughs> bless her heart. Oh. Right? But sometimes we're actually sincere when we bless the heart of another. Like the example I just gave with mm-hmm. Nick, right? Uh, here's another example. Um, this Southern saying can be a genuine expression of sympathy. Like, my sweet sissy fell off her bike and skinned her knee. Bless her heart. Yeah, you okay, the, yeah. Okay, yes. bless her heart. Do you hear the inflection? Absolutely. It's different. Or we might use it to show gratitude. Let's say I've got a party tonight, Nick, and you come over and mow my lawn for me. I okay. might say, oh, honey, you mowed the lawn for my party. Bless your heart. Yeah. See? Okay. Yes. It's positive. Mm-hmm. You're picking up, like you said, you pick up the inflection a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. I'm showing a little gratefulness there. The sincerity or sarcasm of bless her heart or bless your heart is determined by the circumstances and revealed through facial expression and vocal inflection. Important distinction here, guys. Mm -hmm. If you're from the South, I don't have to tell you this. You know it, right? It's not for amateurs. It is definitely an acquired skill, right? Now, I've got some other Southern sayings, however, that are a little less, shall we say, nuanced, Mm. okay? They're always negative, always zingers, okay? In other words, there's no upside. There's no no compliment. These are the really bad ones. They're really bad. I've got three of them for you. So if you hear them, let's just hope they're not directed at you. Okay. Number one. Okay. God love her. Oh. Okay. Tack this on to absolutely anything and it sounds kind and loving, right? The implication is that we can tell, that we can call on the Almighty to love her, 
despite the many errors of her ways. <laughs> exactly. What For that. example, <laughs> she's dumb as a post. God love her. <laughs> right? So true. Right? She made her casserole with canned sweet potatoes. God love her. <laughs> right? Uh, she's got on white shoes after Labor Day. God, God love, love her. her. God love her. Okay, I will admit today I was getting dressed. Almost grabbed my white skirt oh. that I love to wear all summer long. Oh. What was last Monday? Mm, Labor, uh, Day. Labor Day. Okay, right? I probably would have given you a hard time about that, considering it's so close to. It. Sweetie, you would have waited till I left the studio. You would have said. You would have said. You would have said. She to, wore a white skirt today. God, God love her. God love her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there you go. There's one of them. Okay, the number two negative Southern, uh, I guess, Southern phrase, right? Worse than bless her heart is, in her own way. Let me give you some examples. This one merits some dissection. You might hear it from pageant girls who want to demonstrate their ability to accept those who maybe never quite master a cat eye and don't, no, they don't own a teasing comb. Say what you think, but I think she's pretty in her own way. (laughs) Got it? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? (laughs) Oh, yes. We might also use it to to describe a sister's intellect. Like, nobody's ever going to think she's (laughs) called... Oh, no one's ever going to think she's college material. Bless her heart. But she's smart in, in her, her own way. Ah. <laughs> oh, this is so bad. Yeah. No, wow. no. Okay, right? Yikes. Never good. Never good. No. Last one, number three. Uh, Southern saying that's actually worse than bless her heart behind her back. Look what she likes. Okay. Oh. Now, people do say this. Ouch. Now, this is a direct assault on a sister's taste. Let's say a 50-something bridal shower hostess shows up in a leather mini and a shoulder-padded blazer straight out of the 80s. Look what she likes. Got it? <laughs> or maybe she's, you know, bearing papa in an SEC-themed casket. Okay? Look what she likes. Ooh. Okay? Or she has, it's not love, but it's not bad, sung at her wedding. <laughs> Look what she likes. Yeah. That's it. Huh? That. I, you, I heard that, and it gave me a little bit of a chill. Because you're right; those are those are the far far fewer people mm-hmm. know about that phrase. Because right. that one's reserved for the really it bad. It is. Ones. Well, my, my, my! Look what she likes. Mm. Now we hope Nick and I hope these barbed southern sayings never get hurled at you. Bless your heart. <laughs> but if they do, God love you. Just remember, you're special in your own way. Ah. <laughs> uh. Right. So keep your eyes peeled for a look what she likes opportunity and create a diversion. Oh, I'm telling you guys, don't get stuck me, on it. Oh don't. My. Well, you know, guys, here we are. Southern Sisters Radio. We're so glad you joined us for this hour. We are going to be right back in a few minutes. We're going to be celebrating National Hot Dog Day in a very delicious way. Yummy. It's time to eat, Pete. Have a banana, Hannah. Try the salami, Tommy. Get with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. And welcome back to the Southern Sisters radio program. We're in the food segment now. Yummy. Don't you just look forward to this? Oh, that's the mm, best part. Mm, 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 mm. Well, I tell you, one thing we love to do in the South is eat. And I think Southern women do it particularly well. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I have a, a saying in one of my cookbooks that a rural Southern woman knows how to eat a burger. 
<laughs> in other words, you know, you know a guy loves you if he's seen you sink your teeth into a big old hamburger and he doesn't roll his eyes. Correct. You know, <laughs> ladies, you can only carry on this whole salad facade for long enough. I mean, it, eventually <laughs> he's going to have to see you eat some. You know, I had a girlfriend like that. She would never okay. eat anything real. I have to say, though, a real Southern woman knows how to knock out a rack of ribs. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Look them clean. I mean, oh, yeah. I, yeah, it is. Absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i one of those girls. I love my ribs. I love my burgers. Um, but no, it's not about that today, though, guys, is it? It's about National Hot Dog Day. Yes. I suggest we all have a hot dog today, mm-hmm. right, while we're out and about. You better. I've got a couple of, uh, well, suggestions for you and different ways to kind of dress them up and have some fun with them. There is nothing wrong with a good old hot dog with a little mustard and relish, no, chopped onion perfect. on it. You know, those are the basics, the classics. Uh, there are uh, there is some controversy out there as to whether or not ketchup has any place being near a hot dog. You can just if, have it however you if want. If you're under the age of 10. I disagree. I say if it tastes good, do it. Yeah, why not? You know what I'm saying? Well, that's part of what this is about, right? We're going to get right. crazy with hot dogs yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's a we? judgment-free zone. We're going to get so <laughs> we're going to get so so crazy. Let's start off, guys, okay? You know what hot dogs you like best. You've got your best favorite variety. Let's say that you've just taken a couple of hot dogs off the grill and placed them in a hot dog bun, mm-hmm. okay? They're nice and charred, you know, on the outside. Oh, they almost snap or pop when you bite into yes. them, right? All that juicy, yummy goodness, okay? Mm-hmm. But what do we want to dress them up with? All right? Oh. How about this idea? We've got a tiki dog. The tiki dog. The tiki dog. T-I-K-I. Now, this variation is inspired by bacon-wrapped chicken skewers with pineapple and teriyaki sauce. Okay? That's what it's inspired by. What you do with a tiki dog is you wrap the hot dog in bacon, brush it with a little teriyaki sauce at the end of cooking. Right? Okay? So you've got it on the grill. Right? Mm. I do them sometimes. Do them in the pan. Do them in a skillet on the stove. If it's the middle of winter or it's raining outside and you don't (laughs) want to go out. Um, you place the glistening glazed frank in a toasted bun, top it with a little diced grilled pineapple, mm. a little chopped red onion, maybe a little light drizzle more of some teriyaki sauce. This is one of my personal favorite hot dogs. That sounds delicious. Right? A little, mm. little fruit and sa- sweet and savory going yeah. on there, okay? Now, how about this one? The Frito Pie Dog. Now, you know what a Frito pie is, right? Oh, of course. Okay. Well, there's nothing quite like a Frito pie. All right. This is a great, like, this is like one of my favorite wintertime hot dog variations. Uh, So we know there's nothing quite as comforting in the winter as a bowl of Texas chili. Whether it's even better served as Frito pie (laughs) is debatable. But you add salty corn Fritos topped with the chili and garnished with goodies like, let's say, a little cheddar cheese, Mm -hmm. maybe some green onions. How about a little jalapeno? Oh, let's get crazy and put a little dollop of sour cream. Do that too, right? Now, if you want to create a summary version of that classic dish, all you have to do is give your hot dog the Frito pie treatment using all of those same type of toppings, Mm. right? Chili cheese, kind of crunch up those Fritos just a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Frito pie dog. I'd do it in a heartbeat. That seems so easy too. None of these are difficult. Oh, that's wonderful. They're just they're just different. Creative. You know what I'm saying? Open, I like it. expand your mind, <laughs> right? Expand the hot dog mind. More than mustard. Accept new dog. ideas. Yes. You know what I'm saying? How about the French onion dog? Oh, this okay. one sounds good. Yes. Right now, listen to this. Now, some of you have had French onion cheese dip before, and given how well French onion soup did when it was transformed into a cheese dip. I don't see why it wouldn't work as well for a hot dog, okay? So on top of a grilled frank, what I would do is spread a heavy layer of caramelized onions and Swiss cheese. You know, if you've got some Gruyere cheese hanging around the refrigerator, I'd I'd put some of that on there. there. Shred that up. Mm -hmm. And then let the cheese melt over indirect heat on the grill. 
And then maybe add a little bit of fresh herbs, like a little sprinkling of fresh thyme. Now, the sweet onions and the creamy cheese, once again, provide this combo that just, it, it just works wonder. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Think about French onion soup. You've got those yummy onions. You've got that melted Swiss cheese. Mm-hmm. Put it on top of a hot dog and, well. Splendid. It, it is. Yeah. It is splendid. It's like, it? it's almost a, uh, I would, I would almost say that you might be pushing the gourmet hot dog you know boundary what? with that. Yeah. I think just we could, right? <laughs> Give it a little step up. A little, yeah. a little culinary credential, so we say. Go. Right? Yeah. I agree. How about a Monte Cristo dog? Monte Cristo. Really? We're in, we're in the South here now. Thank <laughs> Crisco. The Monte Cristo dog. Now, I am a definitely a big sucker for the Monte Cristo, which is a French toasted topped Basically, okay, Monte Cristo is French toast topped with ham, turkey, mm-hmm. and Swiss cheese. Delicious. Okay? Now, you can you can do the same thing with your hot dog, okay? You can use some of those same flavors on a grilled dog, okay? Now, what you can do is just kind of grill up that bun a little bit. You're basically giving it the French toast treatment. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Toast it up a little bit. Then, you're going to load the dog with a slice each of ham and turkey, a little grated Swiss, Put it back on the grill to let the cheese melt before you give it a little a little bit of a drizzle of, wait for it, maple syrup. Oh. Yes. You've got that sort of breakfasty flavor going on, but it's edgy, it's sweet, it's meaty. It's that sort of perfect sweet savory combination. That, yeah. Listen, <sighs> if you can dip bacon in chocolate, you can put maple syrup on a Monte Cristo oh, hot dog. yes. In a heartbeat. Wow. Oh, that's that sounds so good. so good. It is good. That just sounds good. It is yes, good. It's, uh, that's that that really begs the question. If you have a Monte Cristo dog, is that a sandwich? Because you know the the great debate is a hot dog a sandwich. This is tr- well, that is true. You know, right? if you put the turkey and the ham and the cheese, that, mm-hmm. that almost turns it into like a sandwich. It almost does. Yeah, I think we're breaking some boundaries here. Oh man, we we're are... breaking the uh, the hot dog uh, glass ceiling, so to speak. That's very true. Right. That's what's we happening have, here on Southern. We've Sisters abolished Radio. it. <laughs> we have. How about a nacho dog? Now, okay. It sounds kind of like a classic, right? <laughs> you can't this go wrong. This is a good classic. If you've got nachos on your mind and the ingredients on hand, right, try assembling one with a little refried beans, longhorn cheddar shredded, mm-hmm. right? Maybe a little pickled jalapenos. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Do it upright. I love, I love, good. my kids love nachos. So this oh, is yeah. just one more fun way to, you know. Perfect. Take two particularly wonderful culinary. I say, yeah, this is kind of like a kid's dream isn't i think it, it is yeah nachos you make and the a hot kid, dog yeah kids dream and and uh and earl's dream too <laughs> <laughs> we got adults out there that could that would love Where's this your, and mom and dad's dream because this, this, this is another easy good. one. this is another <laughs> easy one <laughs> hey you know what i've got a bacon jack dog can you imagine what's on that one well, i'm about to say so okay so explain this one to me and okay. this is by the way radio audience this is why you should go to the facebook live oh, on yeah Southern Sisters with Jenny Earhart because okay. we are showing the hot dogs behind her on the screen and this one looks outstanding. Buckle your seatbelt for this, this one. It's not hard to make either. Know. So if you want to make your own cheese stuffed hot dog, here's what you do. You split the frank in half lengthwise. Actually, don't split it all the way through. Just just cut into it, right? And you're going to stuff it with Monterey Jack cheese. And then you're going to close it up with a couple of strips of bacon, meaning you are going to wrap the hot dog with the bacon. Okay? Oh, my. Does it make sense? Now, you're going to cook the bacon-wrapped hot dog over indirect heat. 
Okay, and then put it onto some direct heat and crisp it up at the end. You, you may recall when we talked uh, when we did our grill segment, we talked about having direct heat and indirect heat on your grill. Mm-hmm, yes. Okay, so it just means you've got certain burners on and others not. Or if you're using charcoal, you've got more of the charcoal at one end for mm-hmm. more direct heat and less at the other end for indirect heat. So you start it out in the in the indirect to cook it, and then you crisp it over the direct heat. Now. Once you've nestled it into a toasted bun, you're going to finish it with a few slices of avocado and a little squeeze of chipotle mayo. You can you can make that yourself or you can buy it already made. I've seen chipotle mayo at the grocery store. And having so many flavors from smoky and meaty and cheesy and spicy, this is one killer, killer dog. Wow. It's this so yummy. Sa- oh, man. That the bacon is, jack again, dog. A gourmet hot dog. <laughs> it is. It's taking the hot dog to a new level. Oh, no. We're going to get two more left. Oh, wait. Still. We're not done? No, we're not done. Oh, my I gosh. know you wish that we were. But oh, my no, gosh. You, no. The onion dip dog. Okay. Oh. Now, if you're having a lot of extra caramelized onions from the French onion dog, you may have some leftover, right? So what you can do is you can use those leftovers to make a French onion dip, okay? Now, you know, we've all dunked our Ruffles chips into that sweet, tangy dip and couldn't belt. You know, you can't help but think this would be yet another really awesome hot dog topping, okay? So I actually tried this. I slathered a mess of it on a hot dog in a bun, right? And then I added some crushed chips and green onions on top, okay? Uh, Chives would be good too, right? This is one fine dog. There's something about the salty crunchiness uh, in combination with the savory tenderness of the hot dog, you know it's the whole thing. You know, like when we had the Fritos yes. on the on the Frito pie dog, right? Same same principle here wow. with the onion dip dog. Yum. Oh yeah, folks, wow. you got to go to my website and check these out, <laughs> SouthernSistersHome.com. Just go. click on the blog and you'll see the photos and the recipes. You're gonna go be buying an eight pack of wieners on the way home after this. this you'll is need amazing. to. Amazing. It's a great way to celebrate National oh, Hot yeah. Dog Day. How about the Vietnamese dog? The Vietnamese dog. And you're saying what? What? This is a little bit different. It is a little different. Now, if you have a jar of quick pickled radishes at home, now I know that's unusual. A lot of people don't have it. Uh, you can also use pickled onions. Do you know what I would do with this? I would hmm. even, I would southernize this. You know how you can buy pickled uh, okra? Yeah. The little pickled okra spears? Yeah. I would pull, oh my word, yes. Pull some of those out and kind of chop them up. Maybe some cucumbers and uh, carrots, things like that. What you want to do is marinated vegetables are what are going to make this so wonderful. And I, I definitely would use these on a hot dog. Topping this dog as you would some many Vietnamese dishes. You can also use the, in addition to the pickled veggies, a little fresh cilantro. Mm-hmm. You got a little mint still hanging around the garden. A little sriracha mayo, which, by the way, I make that regularly. <laughs> just a scoop of mayo and a good big squirt of sriracha sauce mm. and just whisk it together. You're taking your mayo to a whole new nice. level. But drizzle some of that over the hot dog as well. It's sort of a, you get sort of fresh and bright flavor, right? It's it's great um, if you want to add a little jalapeno, spice it up oh. a bit too, right? Man, this is a good one. This is, you're right, it's kind of like a light and refreshing it is. hot dog. It option. is. It's brighter, absolutely. And we're, we may be breaking some rules here. You know, we're breaking some culinary rules. That's okay. Right. That's, those are the best kinds, though, when you break the rules. I'll tell you. Some the of rules my, were made to be broken. <laughs> And, and, you know, some of my best recipes, uh, several of them I can think of, have come about as of some sort of crazy, I don't know, sort of experimentation in the kitchen. <laughs> some kind of, you know, like either I made a mistake, I had I to improvise, I was out of something and I had to improvise with something else. This is why it's a Southern way. Oh, Nick. man. It and is. this is a wonderful gourmet mm-hmm. hot dogs, mm-hmm. man. Happy National Hot Dog Day, y'all, to all of our Southern sisters out there and the men who adore them. Now, hang on. We're going to talk about, well, morning habits for highly effective people. We'll be right back. Oh, do have a bagel, bagel.
Now don't be so bashful, Nashville. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Show. Mm, that's a little Harry Connick Jr. stopping at the Savoy. We oh, love that yes. song on the show. I love this thing. Now, you play this in the morning, you will be highly effective. Oh, yeah. That you know? Get you going. Get you a little spring in your step. Yeah. Get a little coffee in your veins. <laughs> well, that's my secret weapon oh, in the morning. Yes. Hi, I'm, I'm far perkier once I've had my coffee. <laughs> well, I'm, I am too, after about <laughs> cup number two. You have two? (laughs) Sometimes it takes that. That's for sure. It does. Well, guys, you know that getting organized in the normal routines of life and finishing little projects you've started is an important first step towards realizing larger goals. I didn't write that. No. Joyce Meyer did. Really? I kind of like her. There you go. Yeah. She's a strong woman. Yes. She's a strong woman. I'm pretty sure she's Southern, too. We'll find out. We'll find out. Now, if you find yourself as the complete opposite of organized, like I have been at times in my life, you may be wondering how those people manage it. How do those doggone effective people get it all done? (laughs) Some people just seem to be effortless in their organization. That's a lie. Don't ever believe it. It's not effortless. It takes a little work. Everything that's worth having does take a little work. Uh, You know, but you know those annoying people (laughs) who (laughs) always arrive on time. They have everything put away, and they always seem to know just what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I have a new saying, by the way. We're putting a new saying on one of our Southern Sisters flower sack towels. Yes. And it's a customizable towel. You can change the name of the city and state. In the, in the saying, okay? okay. So if for the sake of argument, I will use Atlanta, Georgia, because that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And the towel says, uh, one of the nice things about living in Atlanta, Georgia, is if you don't know what you're doing, someone else always does. <laughs> so I love that. That's so wonderful. <laughs> so highly effective people, however, always know what they're doing. And so for the rest of us, even getting out of bed and dressed for the day can be a battle of both chaos and confusion. Very true. It's easy for it to happen in the morning. (laughs) A little chaos and confusion. In my case, it probably involves also tripping or stubbing my toe. Something else. (laughs) Thank God I'm not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) But the truth is, the people who are more organized practice habits that the rest of us don't. And they stick with it. And if you're looking to be a more organized person, you may want to mimic. I love that word, mimic. Mm -hmm. You may want to mimic the habits of highly organized people. Let's talk about some things that they do. That you might not be yes. doing. Or maybe you do do these and you're perfect. <laughs> in, that, in that case, I don't want to know you. <laughs> so I'm just be, kidding. Let's be honest. Just here, kidding. Folks. We know that we need to work on we it. We all do. And you know what? Maybe it's just one or two of these things that you need to work That's on. Very true. Not all of them. One thing that they do is they tend to wake up early and catch morning miracles. Now, what does that mean? If you live with roommates or a family, waking up even 15 minutes before the rest of your household can make a big difference on your ability to get ready in the morning. You won't be fighting for bathroom space or the shower, right? Because you probably already have a head start. Mm -hmm. If you live alone, waking up 15 minutes before you normally would also gives you just the amount of leeway you need to make sure your morning starts out right. I find that often where I run into trouble is not allowing enough time for the things that may go wrong. Yeah. The things that may go wrong. Yes. Right? There's always something. 
We never, ever, I think, seem to allot time for mistakes. No. We wake up and think we can handle it. Yes. We know better. We know better. But we think we can. We think we can. <laughs> that little bit of extra, it's the gift of time. Oh, you know yes. what I'm saying? Another thing highly effective people do in the morning is they don't tend to jump right on their cell phone oh, first thing in the morning. Oh, yeah. Okay, now I have a hard time with this because I always like to take just a quick glance at my phone to make sure that nothing happened during the night that I need to know about. You know. Well, and let me ask you a question on that one then. Do you think that that happens because of just who we are as people? We feel like we need to know, or is that a is that a product of the society we live in today? Did you did you before cell phones were a thing? Right. Did you wake up in the morning and immediately turn on the news or no. grab the newspaper? No. You went about your morning routine and you got to it when you got to it. Everything's right? changed. People also didn't to used know. to get on Facebook and share their every detail of their personal <laughs> lives with their one thousand Facebook friends. Correct. But here's and, and and like you said, people don't you don't need to just get up and get right on your phone. Right. So here's a thought process, right. something that has actually helped me and I've tried and I'll help some folks out there with this. Don't put your phone next to your bed. Oh. Don't fall asleep with it next to you in bed. Don't don't do it. So I can't have it under my pillow. Either. No, oh. unfortunately. Yeah, Dang. go go put it. Some people have like a plug in their bathroom or something. Right. Go do that, or right. leave it maybe in the hallway or the living room or something like that. And mm-hmm. you'll realize that you sleep better. Yeah. Not worrying about what if it goes off. What if it goes off? Yeah. You feel like it, it keeps you on edge just knowing it's Absolutely. right there. Absolutely. Completely agree. So try not doing it, guys. Leave the phone in another room. Mm-hmm. Right. And just Absolutely. don't mess with it during the night. Now, how about this? In the morning. Do something you enjoy. It doesn't all have to be about just the tediousness of getting ready for the day. Allow yourself just enough time to do something you love. You know, for me, honestly, it's being in my robe and curling up with a cup of coffee. Mm. Maybe catching the morning news. I just love that. Sitting down, though, not not just as I'm rushing about. I try to have a few, just a few minutes for myself. Maybe it's listening to music. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just, uh, uh, you know, writing or something. If you journal, something that just, just a little bit of something that you truly enjoy doing in the morning that's not just about getting ready and rushing out that's yeah. out for the day. Give yourself a nice, light little morning workout. How about that? Yeah. I like that. Now, how about uh, having a routine that you follow? Okay, I find I run into trouble when I deviate from the routine. Yep. If you deviate from that system, <laughs> that's also how I lose things. If I have the habit of always putting my car keys when I walk through the door in the same place. Yes. If I deviate from the routine. They're gone. They're gone. Can't find them. Don't Can't, know where they went. Happens every time. And you realize you put them on the other shelf. <laughs> right there. Just the other shelf. <laughs> they were there the whole time. I just didn't see them. <laughs> now, also, remember this, guys. It's always important in anything that you do to set realistic goals for yourself, okay? So trying to change your entire routine at the drop of a hat may only lead to more stress. That's the opposite of what we're trying to do Correct. here. Right. Just set some realistic goals that will help you get done what you need to get done in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I don't do this every day, but I will say. I find, and maybe this is just me, when I make my bed and when I come back later in the day and my bed has been made, I I don't know why that makes me feel so good about myself. Yeah, I've I've actually heard that before. Yes. There was a sense of organization and it just... mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because no matter how bad your day went, right. when you come home, yeah. you've got a made bed. That and do- everyone that dog loves on bed is made. to have a made bed. Mm. It's the little things in life. Mm-hmm. It really is. How about preparing some of your food the night before? Okay? Now, putting together a meal can take a lot of time out of your morning, and especially if you're packing your lunch, right, or something for breakfast the next day. So a really great thing for organized people they often do on the weekends is preparing a large amount of food for the week yep. and keeping it stored in the fridge or the freezer. So all you have to do in the morning is take it out. Nothing better in the world than pulling out something that you've made ahead of time, popping it into the um, crock pot. Oh, yes. And setting that. You right? come home and dinner's ready. 
come home and the house smells good and you feel so doggone good about yourself, (laughs) don't you? (laughs) Decluttering the house is another thing that will help you in the morning, having everything where you need it. How much time is lost when some people, me, have to find their keys in the morning or their cell phone in the morning, right? You know, or you get to the car and realize you left something, so you have to go back in for it. One thing that helps me is to set things that I know I'm going to need the next day by the, by the door. Yes. So I have to literally stumble on them before I walk out in the morning. <laughs> that way they don't get forgotten. Yep. <laughs> and complete the task, guys, that you want to do least. Okay? The uh, one that you don't like, do it while you've got the most energy. You know, oftentimes for me that is returning certain phone calls. You know what I'm saying? I I just find like when I I usually wake up in the morning with a list of people that I have to call. And it's not that I don't like the people. It's just that sometimes whatever I'm dealing with is is, is tedious and difficult. Yes. And so I'm like, oh, and and the hardest thing for me to do is to pick up the phone and make that phone call. (laughs) But if you you guys try to do it first, that way it's done. You can cross it off your list. Can admit this. Have you ever have you ever actually added something to your to do list that you've already done just so that you could cross it off? I would say yes. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely Gosh. have done that. You are a weirdo. No, no, <laughs> I am so kidding. I've done that too. Yeah. yeah. It makes you feel a little bit better because about you yourself. Did. Yeah. I doggone it. I did that yeah. thing. I just forgot to put it on the to-do list. So I'm going to put it on there and cross it off yes. and call myself, you know, victorious. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, these are little things that can have big results in your day. So just think about it. Adding a few little highly effective habits into your morning gets your day going strong, mm-hmm. right? You're going to feel better about yourself and uh, end up being, well, highly effective. Highly. We love that. Highly effective. You know what we have coming up? Oh. Southern Narrative love in our it. next segment. Oh, we got some great stories for y'all. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Where Are You From, Honey? by Gwen Mullins. By eighth grade, I had made a studied, conscious effort to enunciate, to pronounce the G at the end of going or fixing, while avoiding fixing when I meant about to. As in, I'm fixing to go to the store. I did not want to sound poor or uneducated. More to the point, I did not want to sound Southern because to me, those adjectives, poor, ignorant, racist, Southern, were inextricably linked. And true, where and how I lived in those years, such traits were often shades of the same spectrum. By 10th grade, I had begun to pronounce the flat E in Gwen. Not as I was known then, as Gwendy, my nickname that rhymes with Cindy when spoken by my family. My efforts produced a stilted, labored speech pattern. Once at age 16, when ordering a donut at a Krispy Kreme, the clerk asked me, Where are you from, honey? And refused to believe me when I told her I was from here. From northwest Georgia, from southeast Tennessee. Her refusal pleased me. It meant I was succeeding in eradicating what I considered as the hick from my voice. Even in college, where several of my professors spoke in Southern accents with a clarity bred of education and unselfconsciousness, I remained unswayed, undeterred by Dr. Verby Prevost's elegant Mississippi tones or Dr. John Tinkler's unapologetic drawl. 
Yes, I knew they were intelligent and widely read, but I was unconvinced that an accent did anything to prove their credibility as professors or thinkers. I married a man from New Jersey who was glad I did not talk like a hick. For years, I coasted, tightening up my accent whenever I traveled to New York or when I spoke with a colleague from Massachusetts or Maine, which I frequently had occasion to do at work. Sometimes, when I drank too many glasses of wine, my accent slipped in. My vowels became swollen and elongated. Years passed. When I wrote short stories, they were set in cities like New York, or worse, they were set nowhere at all. And my characters were accentless and well-traveled, like a bunch of Newcasters from the Midwest. Then I went to Vermont for graduate school, where my new friends dubbed me Southern, where people I did not know asked me if I hailed from Kentucky or Tennessee, where a lovely woman from Middle Georgia introduced herself to me because she heard me speaking to someone and came over to ask that quintessential Southern woman's question, where are you from, honey? Darn. When had I stopped paying attention? At what point had I become so obviously Southern? How had I lost the ability to beat my natural voice into submission? I felt as though I had failed, as if I had been exposed for what I really was, and always was, poor, uneducated, Southern. I came back from my first graduate residency in Vermont to attend my grandmother's funeral. There in the northwest Georgia mountains, sandwiched between Alabama and Tennessee, I despaired that not only would I never sound intelligent, but I would also never actually be smart, or at least not smart enough. I had not read or written or understood the same things everyone else at grad school had. I learned later that most folks felt that way. All I could speak and write with authority came from this place I have always been, the soil I have never left. A wise man and teacher shared with me that William Faulkner in his interview with the Paris Review had said, I discovered that my own little postage stamp of native soil was worth writing about and that I would never live long enough to exhaust it. But I am not Faulkner, not by a long shot. A couple more years passed. I graduated from that lovely low residency program and I started to think that I should try to embrace my faults, like a woman who has finally come to terms with the shape of her hips. And then one day, I met Dorothy Allison, a woman whose writing is harsh and cruel and beautiful, and Southern, so very Southern. At the conference on Southern literature in my hometown, I held a book out for her to sign. Where are you at, baby? She said, her accent somehow both aggressive and relaxed, and again that question in her own way, that, where are you from, we all ask. Here, I'm from here, I said, my voice hushed. And I was, finally, ashamed. Why had I been trying to defeat, to bury the person I most essentially am? My teenage struggles with speech were a sham. I had come so far from that trailer where I grew up, but I felt that I had never really left. If I had, I would not have needed to try so hard to prove it in my adapted voice. Now I am trying to find that voice again, not just when I speak, but when I write. I never meant to be a Southern writer. I didn't even want to be a Southern speaker. But it seems I can't help it anymore than I could successfully standardize my speech. Yes, 
I know I'm in good company. Company so good. In fact, that I am reluctant to associate myself with it. Sometimes when I try to use that voice on the page, the voice of my grandparents and my aunts and my cousins, it feels contrived or worse, condescending, like Al Pacino trying to adopt a Southern accent in The Devil's Advocate. False, wrong, ugly in places where it should be beautiful and true. But that, I suppose, is just another Southern story. The Groaning Cake by Jennifer Justice. My friend Jess had her first baby at home while planking on a yoga ball without so much as an aspirin. That's how I think of it anyway, because she's the superhero of my girl gang. And she'll also say that if you need to have a crime scene erased, you shouldn't bother calling a hitman. Call a midwife. It's like Dexter's kill box, she said of the Showtime crime drama while holding up a roll of plastic. It came from a box of materials the midwife would need to help deliver Jess's second baby, which she also planned to have at home. I laughed and tried to sound nonchalant as if I weren't nervous for her, because that's what friends do. We offer surrogate bravery at the very least, even if it's not needed. But this time around, I would be in the house during the birth. And as a middle-aged woman with no children and maybe three babysitting gigs on my resume, I had no clue how to help. Of course, Jess had that covered, too. She declared I should join her home birth team for a special mission. It would include a couple of friends, her husband, the midwife, her curious toddler, and a rambunctious lab golden mix named Waylon. If that weren't a full house enough, she hoped to introduce her toddler to the new baby with a baby party soon after giving birth. While she labored, she wanted me to bake a cake. I would be the official home birth cake baker. For the rest of the afternoon as we organized supplies and dawdled around the kitchen, I stole glances at her like you do when you're worried about someone but don't want them to know it. The baby wouldn't be coming for a few more weeks, but our time together and her invitation to the birth gave me plenty to think about until then. When people ask me why I didn't have a baby of my own at 43, and they usually do, I usually say I don't know, because I don't. Sometimes people have a hard time believing this. It's true I recognize there couldn't possibly be a greater love or a more interesting job. I can't imagine anything more challenging, educational, heartbreaking, heartwarming, expensive, or worth it. Yet I've had a long, deep feeling of just, nope. For a time, I fretted and prayed to want to want a baby. And even though I found peace in my decision not to have children, I'll never be sure it wasn't a mistake. Then there's the physical marvel of creating, caring, and delivering a human, which will forever have me feeling a little less of a woman for never having experienced it. But you know what does give me a tinge of the maternal? Baking people cakes. Unbeknownst to Jess and me at the time, an ancient tradition exists of cakes baked for mothers while they're in labor. The aroma is intended to help ease the mother's pain, and recipes for these groaning cakes, as they're called, often pack in the nutrients for post-labor recovery with shredded apple, coconut, and zucchini. They're sweetened naturally with honey. If the mother-to-be breaks the eggs for the batter, the old wives' tale says her labor won't last long. The father has a role, too, in serving the cake to friends and families for the first time after the mother and baby are churched. But we didn't know about any of that pre-labor. Jess just knew she wanted a favorite chocolate cake from her family's gatherings and holidays. Her groaning cake wasn't designed for loading up on nutrients. We'd be loading it instead with sugar, butter, and cocoa. The icing would need to be poured over the cake as it came out of the oven like asphalt for hardening into a slab of fudge. 
As we prepared for the big day, Jess texted me photos of yellow recipe cards handwritten by her mother, who had been given the recipe by her friend. As a food writer, I'm especially fond of recipe cards and cookbooks adorned with coffee stains and chocolate smudges. But like many passed down recipes, the instructions on Jess's cake were vague enough to give a modern cookbook copy editor a come apart. The ingredients were listed as part of the instructions and most sentences had one to three words. Stir, bring to boil, beat. Intuition and improvisation would need to be measured as ingredients too. But as Kim Severson writes in her book, Spoon Fed, How Eight Cooks Saved My Life, recipes are often taken on as an act of faith. You have to trust the cooks who prepared it before you. A few weeks after receiving the recipe, my phone buzzed with another text from our friend, Anne. She's dilated to four. This baby could be here sooner than we thought. I noticed she used four exclamation points and replied, OMG, what does that mean? Before she could answer, I frantically scraped the cake ingredients from my pantry into a shopping bag, the cocoa, vanilla, baking soda, two types of sugar. I didn't figure I had time to measure anything, so I loaded an entire glass canister of flour into the bag too. But the baby didn't come that night or the next. So I waited for the word. I took the bag of cake ingredients to yoga. I lugged it to work. I took it to a fancy fundraising dinner. I even once had an Uber driver stop by my car to pick it up on the way home just in case. I learned that while four centimeters might mean we're close, no one really knows for sure. We can make all the plans in the world, but they're not necessarily going to turn out as we hope. It would be another two weeks before we got the call. The house felt like church when we arrived, reverent and quiet except for the deep, determined sounds of work coming in waves from Jess's in labor. It was almost midnight, and with the toddler asleep and Jess's wishes to keep the house as peaceful as possible, I set about my job with the busied hush of a French mime. No chance of firing up a noisy mixer. I used a whisk instead. As a person who considers cooking a contemplative activity, this wouldn't be the first time I'd prayed over measuring cups and cake batter, this time hoping my friend and her baby would be okay. Excitement and worry mixed with their varied textures like the creaming of sugar and flour. Soon after the cake hit the oven, I heard Jess's work turn into laughter. It's a boy, she cried. And then suddenly, as if we hadn't been expecting it, another smaller cry rang out and the energy in the house shifted. Just over nine pounds carried the emotional weight of nine tons. I couldn't have known what it felt like for Jess, but the wave of energy reminded me of a line from Elizabeth Alexander's poem, Neonatology. Giving birth is like jazz, something from silence, then all of it. A little later, the plastic from Dexter's box crinkled under my feet as I tiptoed toward Jess and her baby boy charter. This is JJ, Jess whispered to him. She's part of your tribe. Of course, I still didn't know what it felt like to have a baby, and I certainly didn't know what it takes to raise one. But in that moment, I at least could feel the importance of what it meant to be there, to show up, and what it means to make and be a part of a family of a different sort. In some cases, it seems having a village to show up for is a gift, a reminder that we're not alone as we walk each other through the unknown thrills and challenges that come with our decisions. It was approaching 3 a.m. as we stood around Jess, watching little Charter breathe, the rise and fall of his tiny lungs filled with new life, and sure enough, the midwife had cleared her workstation, disposed of the plastic, and folded the laundry. She had dismantled a birthing pool and packed it into what might as well have been a briefcase with a spotless scene behind her. She slipped into the night, leaving a new baby, a growing village, and the scent of chocolate cake. 
Well, thanks everyone for joining us this week on the Southern Sisters Radio Show. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Southern Sisters with Jenny Earhart. You can check out the uh, the Facebook Live version. You know, Nick, that's the unedited and uncensored version. It is. It's the behind the scenes look. <laughs> it's a good one. Have a great week.